Welcome back to our podcast on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Now, one quick pronunciation correction. Apparently, the place with the massacre controversy is Bucha, not Buka. I've been saying Buka, and as typical, people probably know I pronounce names and places and words that are foreign to me pretty poorly, and I'll probably forget and pronounce it Buka again later, but just so you know, it's Bucha. So in this segment, we're going to talk about the church and estate relationships, and this is in both the East and West. Now, we're going to be referencing a number of Michael Matt's videos on The Remnant, where he talks about all the issues in Ukraine and his take on it, because I find that for whatever reason, I really closely align with a lot of his views, generally speaking, but on these matters, but I don't actually listen to him too often. Uh, kind of strange how that works. But nevertheless, uh, he has some videos, the errors of globalism, what's really going on in Ukraine, and one on Biden and Soros and the new world over. And we're going to kind of extract various points from all of these videos and amalgamate them all into this one segment, and then add in a bunch of additional things that I think are useful. So with that being said, let's get right into it. And we'll begin by talking about the usual suspects and go over the NATO interests, and all of the people involved in fomenting this war from the Western side, and kind of recapping what we've been over, but maybe with some additional insights. So in one of the videos, Michael Matt talks about how in 2014, Jen Psaki, whom we're very familiar with these days, well, back then she was Hillary Clinton's State Department spokesperson, and she was responding to what she called more than discussions happening on plans to broker a future government in Ukraine and basically a coup d'etat. And so that's exactly what happened. We mentioned the pro-Russian president got overthrown by the Nazis, even though it was masqueraded as an LGBT parade and peaceful protesters. And then Mr. Poroshenko comes right on in. Point being, as we know, they were not shy about this happening. And if you just go back into the Wayback Machine, everything is archived in the mainstream news sources and right from the horses' mouths themselves. And then Michael Matt also shows the video of Lindsey Graham and John McCain in 2017, and there's an extended footage version of this, and I'm going to quote from what they say when they're rousing the Ukrainian troops. And again, the reason we're harping on this so much is because this is 2017, and they're saying they're going on offense against Putin, So is this a defensive maneuver on some level, like we've talked about? Was he protecting the Donbass area from genocide? You can say he was being crafty with this or that, but in the most overt sense of the evidence, it is the NATO forces of the West who are all banging the war drums and, again, are not shy about it. Maybe this meeting with the Ukrainian troops wasn't supposed to be so public. I don't know, but it's out there now. So in this video, Lindsey Graham says, quote, I admire that you will fight for your homeland. Your fight is our fight. Kind of sounds like he's channeling Zbigniew Brzezinski again, back when he was rousing the Mujahideen that we mentioned. Continuing, he says, 2017 will be the year of offense. All of us will go back to Washington while you go out and fight. And we'll inform the American people of your bravery while you die. And we don't suffer any losses over here. And we make a bunch of money. And we will push the case against Russia. 
it is time for them to pay a heavier price. So we're going to convince the American people that Russia needs to be taken out while you guys go fight them in this 2017 year of offense. And then Graham says, quote, Our fight is not with the Russian people, but with Putin. That's a very important point, because everybody accuses Putin of being a paranoid conspiracy theorist who thinks that NATO's out to get him. But <laughs> it's just admitted right here. And he says, quote, Our promise to you is to take your cause to Washington and make the case against Putin to the world. And then Mr. John McCain steps in, just like he did back in 2014 to rouse up the peaceful protesters. And he says, I am convinced you will win, and we will do everything we can to provide you with what you need to win. In other words, a bunch of guns and fancy weaponry, and probably at the expense of the American taxpayer, not knowing that we were arming a bunch of Ukrainian Nazis or a number of them who had the most power and influence in this government and were basically running the politics and the military. Well, you know, they kind of left that part out. And as we mentioned, Trump was the thorn in the side of getting this whole project and its offense off the ground, at least to the degree that they wanted. And like we said, an imperfect instrument didn't make all the best decisions, but never went into full-blown chaos in any of these sensitive areas like with Syria and in particular here in Ukraine. So as we mentioned, compare this video footage with that of Zbigniew Brzezinski rousing up the Mujahideen. And ironically, the culmination of that just happened recently with the takeover of Afghanistan. But nobody seems to care about that. Let's abandon that to go into Ukraine and make sure this tiny area of the country is fought for to the death <laughs> for Mr. Zelensky, the Dancing with the Stars president. At least that's what's being sold to the American people. And back then they had no problem telling these Ukrainian troops that they were going to convince the Americans that Putin was the bad guy and they were going to have our full support, right? So, that's very important footage. Continuing, Michael Matt references some George Soros interventions in Ukraine and him talking about how he is boasting about his foundation in Ukraine, which Soros says, quote, has been functioning ever since he set it up and plays an important role in events going on now. So we know he's involved in this among many other characters that we've talked about who are probably not the most trustworthy people. And Soros apparently is the longest private donor for helping Ukraine and has provided over, get this, $181 million in support. And all that money was implemented and put into action by 17,000 civil society initiatives, which were in turn implemented by thousands of activists throughout the country. I wonder if some of those activists were Nazi ones, which is very interesting considering that George Soros was trying to flee Nazi Germany but pretended to be one and confiscated Jewish property and didn't really have many qualms about it. He just looked at it like the stock market. Someone's going to fill that gap, right? We talked about that footage a few segments back. And Michael Matt also shows a report from a directorate in Ukraine who was using all this George Soros money and uh, implementing his activism plan, I guess. And she was gushing in praise of him. One Katerina Smagli, Smagli, I don't know how to pronounce it, 
but she just wants to give a big thank you to George for everything he's done for Ukraine. So that's all in the Remnant videos. So thus far, we have Jen Psaki, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, George Soros. Let's move on to Joe Biden. And Michael Matt talked about the Biden-Ukraine corruption back in the 2016 leaked emails and how he was a high-level contact with a Ukrainian insider. I'm sure this all has to do with Hunter Biden, the laptop, stuff like that. But he was part of this whole 2014 calling for a coup and stuff like that and in bed with all these neoconservative elements that really hated Donald Trump. And then there's another piece of footage where he shows John McCain talking about Vladimir Putin, what he's going to do when he comes back to the United States to get the Americans on the side of the Ukrainian people as they promised. And he says, quote, You have to understand who Vladimir Putin is. He's an old KGB colonel that wants to restore the Russian Empire. So he's basically saying he wants to restore the Soviet Union under KGB chaos. That's what he's insinuated here. And this is what so many people repeat and parrot as well, where we're going to see evidence directly to the contrary, where Putin obviously hates Soviet Russia. He might want the general territory, but there's the whole Christendom element, whether people think that's fake or not. He certainly is no friend to the communist propaganda, as we shall see, and he's obviously no friend to Nazis because he's trying to denazify Ukraine, and that's part of the whole issue going on right now that we talked about. And Michael Matt has a segment with some guy talking about the propaganda where everybody wants to attack you as a Putin apologist if you say any objective facts that really what's happening is these facts would make you look at him in not such a bad light. So it's not so much being pro-Putin, it's just that that's what the logic and the facts dictate that he's not as bad as everybody's saying is because they're making up stuff about him. Now, you can criticize other things, I'm sure, but when you're talking about these specific points, that's what we're saying. And a lot of the Catholics who hate neocons are, strangely enough, right now, siding with their whole agenda and acting like we need to fulfill it right now. And that's what's so disturbing about all of this. So a lot of people's own standards, like we mentioned, are just being completely inverted. And why is that? And we mentioned that that's the whole point of Christianity, that people, when they're attacking the church or Catholicism, again, we're saying it, uh, the sacramental church, right, in a broad sense, if it's adhering to the morality and the commandments and the sacraments, we can say Oriental, Eastern Orthodox, and Roman Catholic. We're going to be ecumenical here. Well, when that's happening and people attack that, Usually they have some sort of log in their eye and it makes them kind of a, a hypocrite. And that's kind of the point here. And I'm not trying to say people being hypocritical because they're horrible people or something, but this is the deception. Uh, the adversary is getting people to side with everything that they've said that they've thought was satanic in order to go attack Russia. And then they're saying that Putin is the great Satan. We're going to find out there's some pretty interesting factions or people calling Putin a new Cain or a new Satan, and they have to do with uh, orthodox neo-Nazis, if you will, pretending to be orthodox, basically. We'll mention that a little bit later. But we're just talking about all the ironies that happen, and then if you get caught in one of these, you might want to wonder exactly what you're doing siding with these people, especially if you're 
repeating these talking points like Putin is a secret KGB agent in Soviet Russian who loves communism. That's kind of the point. Moving on to another one of the usual suspects, we have a quote from George Bush that Mr. Matt provides us with, where he says, We cannot tolerate the authoritarian bullying and danger that Putin poses. I'm going to stop doing my George Bush impression. I'm sure people are getting sick of that. Uh, Moving on, Joe Biden, once again, he's telling us that Putin must be removed, and some people are wondering exactly what's going on because he's making some very bold statements about these sorts of things or having some Freudian slips, it would seem. And then there's another clip that Michael Matt shows of a senator, Chris Murphy, from Connecticut in Kiev, which I think is the 2014 revolution is the context here. And he's promising that he's going to come back to Kiev to celebrate with Ukraine for its standing with Europe and USA to, well, basically overthrow a democratically elected president, Mr. Yanukovych, who was the pro-Russian president. And apparently when democracy elects somebody like that, well, he needs to be overthrown to install another democracy. There's the irony again. And again, we're just kind of jumping around to all the different figureheads that are involved in fomenting this war against Russia and Putin in particular. They're targeting him back from 2014 all the way until the present day. And it's interesting in this footage where Chris Murphy is trying to overthrow a democratically elected president for democracy. Well, there's pictures of people with a bullet hole in the head of Yanukovych. And it reminds me of what we talked about in apocalyptic elections when Trump was elected the first time. People literally have dolls or dummies of him like hanging from trees or beheaded or shot or all these sorts of things. And of course, Trump was a democratically elected president, but don't tell anybody else that because they think he was elected by Russian bots. So you can see the hypocrisy here where democracy, when it actually goes into effect. Well, when it's not electing the people that all of these elitist and usual suspects want, well, they have a giant revolution with, quote, mostly peaceful protests, and then they install their guy, and then democracy's back on top. It's just so absurd. So, to summarize, this is the New World Order. All these folks are fighting with each other, and are Satan casting out Satan, but they'll all attack... Christendom, Christ. And you can look for the signs if the commandments are being obeyed and they're trying to especially be put into law and you have sacramental churches. I think that those are the biggest keys to seeing where the serpent sets its sights upon. And it's not always the case with every single one of these things. Sometimes there's some outliers, but generally speaking, when I've looked throughout history, I think that that is something that we can all ecumenically get along on and see an historical pattern for. Again, there might be some exceptions here or there. But speaking of Satan casting out Satan, well, that's kind of happening right now because a lot of people are turning on Trudeau and Soros apparently isn't happy with China. And Michael Matt was talking about how George Soros is chastising China for communism and draconian COVID lockdowns. Gee, isn't that what the West has been doing for the last two years? Promoting a bunch of socialism and locking down everybody with ridiculous restrictions, especially Canada? Seems a bit hypocritical to me. 
So, with our little review of all of the usual suspects and the geopolitics involved, Michael Matt talks a lot about another layer to all of this, the Great Reset. We're not going to go too much into that in particular, but there's also an interesting transhumanism uh, agenda tied to this, along with the whole green agenda. So, Russia is your enemy, and Ukraine must be defended at all costs. That's all caught up in this. And we might see why here. And Michael Matt shows us some videos of Europeans talking about their COVID chip that's implanted into their hand, so they have their passport, and they seem very impressed with it. And like we talked about with the neo-Nazis training, you take all of these people with this very friendly disposition with that kind of northern or eastern European accent. And it's just so sad to see that promoting all these disgusting draconian things. It's just kind of bipolar seeing that with these very nice people, but they're promoting the craziest stuff. Well, you have that here with the technocracy too, where the guy's like, oh, this is my chip. It is in my hand and I can scan my COVID passport and all this kind of stuff. And it's just so sad to see um, because... The innocence of these people just being completely, I don't know, bastardized, I guess. But the point being, those videos are being shown in conjunction with this interesting Israeli guy named Yuval Noah Harari, and he's talking about hacking human beings. That's kind of how he speaks. And he, he has some very disturbing, strange quotes here. You can see it in the interview with himself, right from the horse's mouth, where he says, quote, Elites, interesting word, may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Humans are now hackable animals. There's this whole idea that humans have this soul or free will or whatever. And here's the irony. He kind of mocks free choice in elections where he says, so whatever choice I have in the election or the supermarket or whatever, that is my free will. That's the perception we have. He says, that is over. Free will is over. So the ironic thing is, you don't really have much free will if you have the quote-unquote democracy of a coup installing some particular IMF or NATO president puppet. That's kind of ironic. So he's saying, well, that's even over. Or are some of these elections in democracy, which has been Satan's greatest tool for the last, I don't know, 100 years or so, actually electing real people that the globalists hate, however imperfect they are, people like Trump or Orban or Bolsonaro or uh, perhaps Vladimir Putin, but those couldn't possibly be free elections, right? Or in Crimea or when Russia votes on a referendum to have Christian marriage in its constitution along with God. Those are all just, you know, fraudulent Russian bots hacking and all that kind of stuff. But regardless... I think it's interesting that maybe that might be some of the sentiments this guy is talking about in kind of a subconscious way. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. The point is that he's saying the time for free will is over. It's an illusion. And we're a bunch of animals. We're hackable. And the elites will gain the power to re-engineer us all, I guess, in their image. So this Israeli transhumanist, you know, he's got no problem with any of this stuff. And here's the most important bit. He says, again, taken from the Remnant video, that this war in Ukraine should be the opportunity to end the culture war in the West, meaning people who want 
Christianity or Christian values or Western values, Judeo-Christian values, whatever you might want to call it. Well, that culture war between the people who don't want that, like the cranky Marxists or whatever, or the neocon elites or whatever group is opposed to that, let's stop that culture war and just make us all transhumanist people with no free will. And he says that this situation in Ukraine is going to be the conflict that brings this new transhumanist order out of the chaos. And he says that Russia is not the Soviet Union, which is interesting because he's admitting that it's not. Even though everyone else is trying to convince you that Putin is a crypto KGB Soviet agent, well, this guy is just probably saying the truth here, that Russia is not the Soviet Union, and probably he doesn't like it because it's a Christendom rising as much as people want to dispute that. Mr. Transhumanism himself is at least admitting it. And here's what is so telling. Mr. Transhumanism Israeli tells you that Russia right now is much weaker. So basically that's a backwards insult to Christianity, right? If Russia is becoming more and more Christian, again, people can dispute it all they want. I think it's indisputable that it is progressing towards that, even if it's not to some people's liking. The point is, that's an insult. And he's saying it's weak. And he's insinuating that it was stronger under the Soviet Union. And I think they're finding out that it's not quite as weak as people imagined it to be. It isn't just some gas stations and all of the sanctions attacks have kind of had the opposite effect. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Back to Mr. Israeli transhumanist man. And he's talking about the Manhattan Project was fomented out of a great conflict and he's calling for a new Manhattan Project, but an ecological one. And this is to solve the crisis and bring the good out of the chaos. And that Russia, his words, is nothing more than a gas station with nukes. And that the West needs to act fast and pour money, resources, and scientific knowledge to create an energy revolution to stop depending on oil and gas. And then Putin's regime is finished, he says. He's very adamant about it. So I'd say, what is that guy smoking? Is this the dude you want putting chips in your brain or your hand and then forcing us to have all this green technology that really isn't all that efficient or they make it out to be way better than it is and also extremely expensive? You want to have only Teslas around where everybody who has a car has to have also 150 grand? Then it will be, just like he said, the elite's re-engineering the future of life itself. Now, if anybody watched Occult Science, we went to all the transhumanist stuff at the end. There were many, many segments on it and showing how it strangely relates to all of the occult Kabbalah and theosophy and these weird dreams that uh, Madame Blavatsky had about people evolving to a more androgynous state and the Adam Kadmon and these avatars and stuff like that. And then when you look at the transhumanist people, they're tying it, if they do, to any sort of religious belief system. It's always some sort of Hinduism or Eastern religion. So you can see that going hand in hand way back when, when we did the occult science series. And now you see this just continuing on. So this dude is just as crazy as that Zoltan guy that we talked about in occult science. They're just a bunch of nuts. It really is like, dude, where's my car or something with the Zoltan cult. <laughs> Zoltan in real life. Anyways, uh, so also 
This just in, 2022 is the year of energy security and tackling climate change, says the White House Secretary, so this is all in lockstep. However, there is a counter-narrative to this by certain people, and Michael Matt shows a couple different segments that we're going to extract from that I think are very interesting. One is by a U.S. congressman, one Madison Cawthorn, and he says that Zelensky is a thug and the Ukrainian government is incredibly corrupt and evil and pushes woke ideology, even though he didn't really mention the Nazis, somehow woke ideology and SJWs and pride parades go hand in hand with Nazism, who would have thought, but it's true, and that the Ukrainian government is a hub for all this degeneracy. Now, I looked into this guy, he's seen as a Christian conservative, he's pretty young, He's been accused of sexual assault and aggression. I don't know what that entails, but that, in some strange way, and sad to say, doesn't really mean much these days when you had stuff like the Kavanaugh hearings, and even Amy Coney Barrett was asked if she'd ever sexually assaulted somebody or something like that, so uh, it's just a very strange time, very strange world out there. But, well, speaking of strangeness... uh, Michael Matt also talks about how Sean Penn apparently is very good buddies with Vladimir Zelensky, which says a lot. And (laughs) again, Sean Penn's LARP is that this situation in Ukraine and fighting against the Russians, well, apparently Zelensky was born for this. And Sean Penn thinks that Zelensky has a ton of courage and dignity and that this type of courage and dignity is new to the modern world. We've never seen somebody so courageous and with such dignity as Zelensky, who's in pseudo-gay porn music videos almost or whatever the hell that thing is that you can see online the edm strangeness and then whenever sean penn talks i mean it's sad to say he just kind of looks like a drug addict he looks strung out and he looks i don't know just out to lunch it's very sad to see that's the state of a lot of celebrities these days and a couple more things from those remnant videos Michael Matt talks about Tucker Carlson being astonished that the Biolab story is actually true, where he says, quote, Foolishly, we assume that in this one instance, the mainstream media might be telling the truth on the Biolabs being a hoax until this was admitted by Victoria Newland, who seemed to be scared it would fall into the hands of the Russian military, because if they're just regular biolabs, what it, would it matter if the Russian military got a hand on them unless it was bioweapons? And if that is the case, then why are bioweapons on the border of Russia when we're saying we're not going to attack Russia and there's agreements not to move NATO or the West any closer? And in fact, continuing on that line of thinking, Michael Matt shows a clip of Dr. Robert Malone the guy who invented certain types of vaccines and then was warning against the vaccines and then got canceled from everything and forced Joe Rogan to get canceled too, and that whole debacle. Well, it's interesting that now this same doctor is saying that Russia's invasion might be justified if there were, in fact, bioweapons on the border. He would call it biodefense. And he says... What would USA, if the opposite were true, if Russia had bio-warfare research on the southern border in Mexico or in Canada? It's Malone's view that he strongly suspects we would invade if that were the case. And that was exactly Putin's point that we mentioned way back when in the earlier segments. A couple other fun little tidbits in these videos, apparently showing the dead bodies. Again, we don't want to laugh at dead bodies in warfare, but in this instance... 
one of the dead bodies in the background that was supposed to be the casualties of war, well, uh, when a breeze kind of flapped up one of the um, tarps on it, the dead body there magically just grabbed it and pulled it back down. <laughs> so apparently dead bodies can move when the breeze flaps up their plastic tarp. Or was that scene at least a stunt? And if it was, that's disrespectful to all the real dead bodies out there where they need to fake produce ones in order to traumatize Americans and say Russia man bad. And again, we're not justifying this or that, or we don't like that the war is going on. I see footage from it every day. I try not to watch too much, and it's really friggin' sad on both sides. I've listened to some Ukrainian soldiers talking and Russian soldiers, and I just hate the whole situation. However, if you were going to look at both sides of this, I would argue that NATO in the West is way more responsible for allowing things to get to where they are far more responsible. You can disagree if you'd like, but with everything we've gone through, I think that that case is at least in the realm of tenability. And the last thing we'll mention before we move on to the next part is that Russia has been canceled by everything, all kinds of corporations, but ones that, you know, perhaps aren't so bad to be canceled by. McDonald's, Netflix, you know, these are all feeding you probably not so good food and horrible content. And since Russia doesn't want the LGBT propaganda and even pedophilia propaganda, which Netflix has been known to push recently, well, maybe they're doing them a favor. More importantly, the Paralympics, which handicap people or people who don't have certain limbs are all competing, the friggin' Paralympics are banning Russians from participating. I don't know how that saga's played out since Michael Matt reported on this. Maybe they've reneged on that. I don't know, but that's just insane. You know, you're banning a handicapped guy from participating in the Paralympics just because he's Russian. And also, I read recently, or heard people reporting on the situation, that Russia lent out all this artwork to, like, I think, Finland, and Finland is going to join NATO now, and they're confiscating the artwork. So basically, they're stealing the artwork, which is, like, millions and millions of dollars that were made by, I guess, Russian artists or whatever. But because they're going to join NATO, they're just going to take their money now because they're now they can be against Russia. So it's basically just an excuse to steal, and it's really just a shameful thing what they're doing there. And lastly, Facebook and Twitter are apparently canceling their presence in Russia and since Facebook and Twitter have played such a large role in fomenting revolutions, like we talked about with the Arab Spring and whatnot, well, maybe that's a good thing, so you won't have any actual coups going on in Russia, at least under that form. I know that they want regime change in Russia right now, but they're not going to get it that way if they withdraw all these things that they're used to using in order to rouse up all the quote-unquote peaceful protesters. So that might not help them in this situation. So let's move on to the next part of our segment here and talk about Putin's pleas. We mentioned some of this before, but Michael Matt provides a few extra segments that I think are interesting. And I looked up more on some of these speeches. So we're going to pull from other videos on YouTube you can find of Putin giving various talks and warnings to the West. 
Now, this is very interesting, again, in conjunction with the people who say Putin's just a crypto KGB agent who wants to bring back the Soviet Union and communism, and also the fact that the West, which has turned into the crazy Bolsheviks, hates him and hates Russia and wants to destroy him and overthrow his regime and probably install a new Bolshevism, if you will, or maybe some Ukrainian Nazis if you want the other side of the dialectic. Well, they blame Putin for being Hitler and Stalin combined into one person. So we're going to quote from one of Putin's speeches from a Valdai conference, and we're going to direct quote along with some paraphrases. So there's a full event of this. It's like three hours long. You can watch it on YouTube, or there's other videos that have the shortened versions. So you can get it from the horse's mouth. Don't take my word for it. And he says, quote, After the 1917 revolution, the Bolsheviks, relying on the dogmas of Marx and Engels, said that they would change the world, and that the very notion of human morality and the foundations of a healthy society would be changed, and he's warning that this is what's happening in the West now. And he says, This entails the destruction of age-old values, religion, and relations between people up to and including the total rejection of family. And he said, we had that too, meaning we've seen all this already. And so he's saying America's going down this same road. And he says, not to mention some truly monstrous things that when children are taught from an early age that a boy can easily become a girl and vice versa, and that teachers actually impose on them a choice that we all supposedly have, and then they shut the parents out of the process and force the child to make decisions that can upend their entire life. Gee, that sounds like a lot of Catholics. But apparently Putin's just trolling here. He's not a real Christian. He doesn't really care about any of this. He just cares about political power. Well, you can decide, continuing, he says that anyone who dares to mention that men and women actually exist, which is a biological fact. Oh, he's going to get canceled now risk being ostracized and that using rhetoric like, quote, parent number one and two or birthing parent instead of mother or human milk instead of breast milk, well, everybody's afraid to call that out because it might upset the people who are unsure about their own gender. So he's talking about PC culture. And he says, I repeat, this is nothing new. In the 1920s, the Soviets also invented some newspeak, so he's quoting George Orwell here, believing that they were creating a new consciousness, so it's very Gnostic-esque here, New Agey, if you will, and changing values that way. And then he starts talking about the classics, both East and West, that are being disappeared in the West, talking about Shakespeare and all these other uh, classics being canceled while promoting gender ideology instead. So, Seems pretty astute to me. You're substituting all these classics, and now you're getting rid of all these Russian authors, or people are calling for it, like Dostoevsky, etc. And we're going to have gender-bending novels instead. Then he goes on to talk about racism. And so Russian nationalism apparently is all ethnic superiority, right? Well, listen to him talk about his views on these, and they seem pretty reasonable to me. In fact, you might even say they're a little liberal-esque. He says, Counteracting against racism is a noble cause. However, in the new culture of abolition, it turns into reverse discrimination. <laughs> I think we all understand what he's saying there. 
And he knows something about racism because of all of the hate that's been fomented towards Russians, especially by all those Ukrainian Nazis. So that is not a surprise to us, but it's probably a surprise to many. And a lot of people just don't want to admit it because they want to hate on Russia, but don't want to act like they're racist or they're uh, having some sort of ethnic warfare that they're participating in, but pretend like they're not. Then he goes on to quote Martin Luther King Jr. in his most famous quote, right? Judging people by their character, not by the color of their skin. And Putin says that in Russia, we don't care what color people are, he or she. This is not so important. Each person is a human being, and that is what matters. In a number of Western countries, the discussion about rights of men and women has turned into a perfect phantasmagoria. He says, look, you will get there before the Bolsheviks propose not only socializing chickens, but also socializing women, meaning polygamous culture, which is making a big comeback right now. I've actually seen this in various circles of my own peers. And he says, one more step and you will be there. So there's one speech on Putin's Russia. You can believe that it's a big facade, but perhaps he could be true to his word. Continuing, another video, Putin talks about the fourth industrial revolution, and this includes the widespread use of artificial intelligence and robotics. So here is where he's going to counter against the transhumanist crazies like that Israeli dude. And there's some other interesting things he says in this. So I'm just going to read some of the quotes. He says, quote, Coronavirus pandemic has greatly accelerated such projects, meaning artificial intelligence technology, and their implementation, which is exactly what that Israeli dude was calling for. We need a new Manhattan project in this whole conflict now with Russia where you need to just go gung-ho trying to get this transhumanism implemented in the Green New Deal and all that kind of stuff, the whole Great Reset crowd. And Putin says, however, this process is also about bringing new structural changes to labor markets. Therefore, without sufficient efforts by states, many people are risking their jobs. This often affects the so-called middle class, the core of any modern society. So he's saying that all this transhumanism stuff and uh, craze to get artificial intelligence is going to make people lose jobs. And then this actually affects the middle class more so than anybody else, which he says is the backbone of modern societies. And so he says that this technology apocalypse, if you will, is going to just hurt the regular people even more so and give more power to the oligarchs. Now, people can accuse him of being an oligarch or whatever you want to do, but I don't really hear a lot of people going against the technocracy talking like this. Now, he doesn't say that he's a Luddite. Putin says, quote, genetic engineering will open up incredible opportunities in pharmacology and new medicine, and that will help people with genetic diseases. He says, all right, that is good. But there was another part to this process. It means, and we are already imagining it, meaning he knows this stuff is being developed, to create a person with the desired features, a mathematical genius, an outstanding musician, but also a soldier, an individual who can fight without fear or pain. And what I have said is more terrifying than a nuclear bomb. So the idea of super soldiers, even if you think that sounds very science fiction-y, there's certain people who are pushing that. And to whatever degree you think that's reality, that's up to you. But it is creepy how they throw all these things out there and they just want to engineer the perfect person. It's like Brave New World mixed with 1984. That's really the best way to describe it. And Putin is not 
for the latter version of having the technology spent towards those things. He's fine if it develops better medicine and to help fight genetic diseases, which sounds pretty reasonable to me. So that is Putin's plea to the West or the people who don't understand the transhumanist technocratic agenda. And now we're going to move on to our last part of the segment, Russian Christendom rising versus the New World Order with Zelensky's Ukraine at the center of it all right now to foment the conflict and chaos to have this global technocracy rising instead. So here we'll get into some more of the church-state relationships that we talked about. And first thing I'd like to mention is the Moscow-Constantinople split back in 2018. There's a video I've included on the playlist with some guy basically doing a synopsis of how this all came to being with the logistics of it. And he goes back all the way to the beginning of the history with Orthodox and the East-West split with Rome and the Greek schism. So it's very useful. Now, I don't know everything about this split, but there are a few key elements that I think are missing often from the narrative here that I've discovered recently. So I wanted to share them because I think they might be illuminating. But I have heard a lot of rhetoric about the split. And generally speaking, people in the Catholic world, as far as I understand, or as far as I've heard, tend to side more with Constantinople on the issue, and they don't seem to be fans of Moscow. Now, when I see this guy doing the synopsis of the split, I have to say it doesn't seem like Constantinople was acting entirely fairly in a large capacity. I'm not saying Moscow was perfect in it, and maybe I'm missing something, but when people are trying to lay a lion's share of the blame on Moscow and defend Constantinople, if I'm just detached and looking at it, just in a broad perspective here, a layperson on the outside, it just doesn't seem that way to me. Maybe I'm uninformed on it all, but you can decide that on your own. You can look into it more on your own if you'd like. But it seems like much of this has to do with controlling the patriarch of Kiev. Apparently that's what shifted and fell back into the hands of Constantinople, which if you're going to hold up to particular criteria, it doesn't seem to me like it was really measuring the same standards. Perhaps there was a log or two stuck. I don't know. Like I said, that's my general perception. But what's more important here is that this patriarch named Philaret was recognized by Constantinople after he was excommunicated for quite a while. And remember, Constantinople is... Uh, ruled, if you will, by Patriarch Bartholomew, and he's tied into the green agenda and this kind of syncretistic ecumenism, the United Nations. He's kind of like the Pope Francis of the East, as far as I've looked into. I don't know everything about him, but there seem to be some suspect things that are connected to all the stuff that people wonder about with Pope Francis, especially people like Michael Matt. But the reason why Philaret is so important is because, one, he's had some very interesting things to say about Vladimir Putin. He's called Putin a new Cain, saying that Satan went into him as with Judas. And even though Putin calls himself a brother to the Ukrainian people, he's nothing but a traitor like Judas. And Philaret was also against the quote-unquote annexation by Russia of Crimea in 2014. Now, what I find strange is there's a lot of accusations of Putin and Kirill being political animals and just promoting a political version of Christianity. Yet, 
I see a lot of these other folks who are vehemently opposed to them being rather political themselves. Point being, are you attacking a political situation and using Christian lingo to paint Putin and Kirill, or at least his regime, I guess, as a new cane? You see what I'm saying? You're just doing the same thing you're accusing everybody else of doing, and I think that that's a problem. More importantly, apparently, Filaret made an interesting comment here, saying that after he got reinstated, because remember, he was excommunicated by the Russian Orthodox Church, and they were in control of Kiev, and now they're not anymore because Constantinople is. So once he got back in power, I mean, this dude is really old. He's like 93 now, I think. But the point is, once this guy was back in the seat of authority in Kiev, he said, quote, The people in Donbass must pay for their guilt for rejecting Kiev's authority through suffering and blood. Hmm. Does that sound more like a compassionate understanding Christianity that should follow the book of James and 1 Corinthians and dealing with their brother? Or does that sound like a fake Nazified Christian church, so-called, and that these people who have rejected their authority must pay for it in their blood? And certainly the Donbass area has paid for it in blood because of all of the Nazi shelling attacks on it since 2014 that we've talked about and have been documented. You can say that they're exaggerated or they're fake documentaries or the Nazi problem is way overestimated, say whatever you'd like. But if that is not true, then the more accurate interpretation would be on the other side, I would think. Furthermore, apparently Filaret has said some interesting things about the coronavirus pandemic, saying that it's a punishment for allowing same-sex marriage. And we know that the Nazis don't like the LGBT stuff, and they're really hardcore about it. We'll get to that in a second. But more importantly, here's the interesting hypocrisy with all of this. This guy is being recognized by Constantinople and the West, or at least the Roman Catholic Church under Francis, is much more favorable to Constantinople, and obviously Ukraine in this situation, not Kirill and the Russian Orthodox Church. However, on the Western side, we're supposed to be tolerant of same-sex marriage and allow civil unions and all that kind of stuff, right? And that Russia is horrible and oppressive for people who are LGBT. Putin and Kirill are just, you know, anti-LGBT to the max, apparently. But nobody chastises Filaret for saying that the pandemic was a punishment for sexual sins and homosexuality. Or maybe there are people saying that. I just haven't really come across them. And this is important because in the West, especially in America, if you say that the coronavirus is a punishment from God for any reason, that's going to be immediately met with hostility from the Church of Nice. And the Church of Nice is certainly no fan of Putin and Russia's anti-LGBT stuff. But remember, it's anti-LGBT propaganda and pedophilia propaganda. That is the extent of it. And we talked about those quotes from Putin himself about it. And he was talking about how there's Muslim countries or many other countries in the world where the laws against LGBT people are way more radical. Why is everybody focusing on Russia? Seems a bit hypocritical. But more importantly, why isn't anybody focusing on this Filaret guy? Because he is tied to all these factions in the West that are trying to be 
part of the Church of Nice and more tolerant and synchronistic and all that kind of stuff, right? For some reason, he's okay, and he's calling Putin a new Cain and a Satan and behaving like a political animal, and we're going to find out very shortly that he's tied into this whole Nazi Bandera cult. So the whole West who hates Nazis and thinks Nazis are the worst evil ever, and even that the traditional Roman Catholic Church like the Latin masters are kind of like Nazis. We have a real Nazi sympathizer in Filaret, and nobody seems to want to excommunicate him like the Russian Orthodox Church did many moons ago. I just find this utterly hypocritical, unless I'm missing something here, but that seems to be the general uh, disposition of all of these different factions and groups. So, to move on to the Bandera Nazi cult associated with certain figureheads or patriarchs in the newly formed, quote-unquote, independent church that Bartholomew and Constantinople recognize. Well, there's an interesting website called Orthodox Christian. It's orthochristian.com. There's a lot of articles. I will have them in the references file when I get it together. And they have many articles on some of these issues, and they even show Filaret supporting the Banderite nationalism by blessing one of these icon murals with all of the Banderite symbolism. I guess he actually blessed this painting, and if you look at it, it seems pretty obvious that it is substituting a quote-unquote Nazified version of so-called Christianity into the iconography. And we've mentioned this before, how there are certain Orthodox Christian icons that have been integrated with Ukrainian nationalism and Nazi-esque symbolism supporting Bandera. And we talked about one where St. George is crushing the double-headed eagle, which is Byzantium. This is Christian history, but also with Moscow. So it's almost like Satan's revealing something here. Because if you think that these neo-Nazis are under the inspiration of these satanic demonic forces, what are they setting their sights on? Byzantium, and they're associating it with Moscow. So even the demons recognize that Moscow is Christian and like a new Byzantium, or at least perhaps rising into one, if you just look at the occult symbolism. And then you have crazy transhumanists like that other dude who's admitting that Russia is weak and not like the Soviet Union anymore. In other words, it's Christian, but he sees Christianity as weak. Well, again, are they going to find out just how weak it is? We've talked about the irony there with all the sanctions blowing up in the West's face. But setting that aside, if you measure these things all out with the symbolism and the history, it is quite telling. And again, the point being, that the Roman Catholic Church under Francis, which seems to be in line with Bartholomew and Constantinople, they all want to be more tolerant to all the LGBT stuff and allow civil unions. They want the Green New Deal. All these globalists are welcome there, the Schwabs and the Great Reset people or whatever it is. And they all call everybody who doesn't agree with them a Nazi, right? And anybody who's trying to pass laws for Christianity, they're Nazis too, just like Putin's Russia. Yet they don't have a problem promoting actual Nazis, whether it's promoting and backing Ukraine right now or backing patriarchs that are having Nazi bandera nationalist symbolism in the Orthodox Church taking over their icons. Apparently that just goes out the window when you want to hate on Russia. Do you see the synthesis here? that is transcending all of these dialectics and all these factions that should just not be working together like they are, 
and are turning out to be utterly hypocritical. That is exactly how most traditional Catholics say the satanic forces work, and they're all targeting Russia in this instance, in the same ways that the Latin Mass-type communities are targeted in the West. But the difference is, those are church communities spread out throughout a wide area, whereas Christian Russia is unifying the church and the state. And perhaps that's a lot more scary to the adversary. As much as some Catholics want to act like it's a fake Christian Russia, look at all the forces that are going after it. I'd advise people to rethink that position, or at least understand that it is a legitimate red flag and concern that people should really think about. So to continue and wrap up on this same topic here, in another one of Michael Matt's segments, he shows a Ukrainian bishop who says, quote, we have to soften on LGBT not to be like the Russian church. And this is in 2018, the new head of the Ukrainian church in Kiev. So we have to soften on LGBT and not be like the Russians, but we're going to be cool with all these Nazi nationalists who really hate LGBT people and would be way more harsh to them if they were truly in control. That's okay. Or they're just completely blind to that. I don't know. Now, there is a few more things I'll add before we move on. These are important caveats. There's some accusations about this Greek Catholic Uniate Church having these Nazi battalions, and some of those extreme videos on the Orthodox channel said that these were the factions. So the point is, this is a Catholic church, an Eastern Catholic church, in communion with Rome. Now, I don't understand exactly where the overlap is. You could have some of those being taken over by the nationalists, or maybe just in a couple instances, but I don't think historically there's much of a connection. I think it's kind of the opposite, but they've been accused of being Banderites or something to that effect. My point is, I just don't know, so I'm not going to make a comment on it. I'm just saying that there's something weird about the Eastern Catholic situation here. And furthermore, I'd add that I'm sure there's lots of regular Ukrainian churches that are part of this independent church tied to Constantinople, or the Eastern Catholic churches, or any Orthodox that don't even like Moscow. I'm sure there's plenty of them that don't like any of the Nazi stuff. They're not supporting it. They're not a Nazified Ukrainian church. But the point is, there's enough of that influence that it seems to be affecting them. And we talked about Philaret blessing that mural. That's a big problem. And also, consider the intimidation factor. If that presence is powerful, who's going to want to speak up against that? Especially if these forces are intertwined in the military and the political elite, even if it's a small faction like uh, Mr. C-14 Karas was boasting about. This is kind of how I hear people say that Nazi Germany worked. It was a small elite that took over a lot of these things, and they just rule through fear. And then if you have all this backing from the West and weapons from NATO, then they have the fanciest uh, weaponry to use as part of their intimidation. So we're not trying to paint all Orthodox or Eastern Catholic churches as being Banderites, far from it. But we're just saying that there are instances where it has overlapped, and it seems to be very concerning. And just the fact that there's the weird dichotomy of those forces, along with the West presenting Ukraine as this democratic democracy with the LGBT paradise, right? And to add to the strange dichotomy of Nazis and LGBT pride parades, Michael Matt in a video starts focusing 
on the LGBT issue and what Russia doesn't want. And he shows a Ukrainian gay pride march with thousands of people. And apparently there are even diplomats in this. And this is all thanks to Zelensky's government, which is really strange if you consider who's in this government, and police escorts protecting them. Now, certainly they are not protecting Russians. They are persecuting them and have no problem attacking people in Donbass. But if you look at this LGBT pride parade and some of the footage or pictures, it's one of the more hardcore ones. And it's a little creepy, and I don't know if you'd want your children being at a place like that. So it's really strange. It's all being protected by the police that's filled with Nazis that really hate gay people. It's just such a strange scene. Like, it's just, you can't even make this stuff up. But the point is, the Ukrainian propaganda in the clip says that the threat of Russia invasion endangers the progress of all these LGBT groups. I'd say the neo-Nazis are much more of a danger to them than anybody else. But of course, the propaganda shows the pride parade, then it cuts to all of the Russian tanks, like they're just going to go there and blow up all of the gay pride people, which is absolutely ridiculous. Then, of course, in the news report, it mentions how Russia is, quote, one of the most repressive countries when it comes to LGBT rights. And this is like some activist woman talking about it. So what about the Ukraine with all the neo-Nazis? And we saw the behind-the-scenes footage of what they really think about LGBT people. Well, that's not a problem. It's Russia that's the problem. Continuing on, there's also a clip that Michael Matt shows of EWTN interviewing Ukrainian Archbishop his name is Boris Gudziak. He's from America. And he's on EWTN asking all Roman Catholics to back the Biden administration and the Secretary of State in order to prop up Zelensky. Meanwhile, so many people say, oh, the Catholics shouldn't be political. Look at all these Catholics that supported Trump. But now let's get super political, just like Filaret, the Nazi supporter, being against the Crimea situation, right? When they do political things, it's totally fine. It's just justice or whatever. It's the right thing to do. But when the quote-unquote conservative sides who believe in commandments and defending them, well, when they get active in politics in any fashion, then they're being worldly. That's always the accusation. It's just utterly hypocritical. Furthermore, this Ukrainian archbishop on EWTN is also encouraging Catholics to back or act positively towards Zelensky's request to join the European Union. And he says that Americans need to call out people like Tucker Carlson for suggesting that Zelensky's government is corrupt and that we shouldn't go to war for him. So we don't need to call out Charles Schwab or George Soros, Michael Matt says. We need to go call out Tucker Carlson. And so like we've mentioned, nationalism is only a problem when it's Russia or if it's America, or Hungary. But Ukrainian nationalism, with this dialectic of LGBT pride parades that are protected by neo-Nazis in the Zelensky regime, well, that's fine. That's just a, a country exercising its rights to sovereignty. So take your pick. Is it the LARP LGBT pride parades, Ukraine, that we're all supporting? Or is it the reality of the neo-Nazi regime that's even backed by these Orthodox patriarchs that are in communion with Constantinople, and are seen as making the Ukrainian church independent from evil Moscow, right? Well, Patriarch Kirill of the Russian Orthodox Church has something to say about our current times. 
he's saying that the signs of the times are this, quote, the test of which side you are on is whether your country is willing to hold gay pride parades. So if nothing else, plus one for Kiro, if you're a traditional Catholic, for upholding commandments as the focus. Because remember, when Christ says, if you love me, obey my commandments, well, that is loving Christ. But of course, he's just worldly because he's getting involved in politics and he's got an expensive watch and is building stuff on property and, you know, he's just a fake Christian. But the neo-Nazi Ukrainian independent church, or the, at least the under Filaret, that's totally cool. Don't worry about that. That's true independence. And even though Patriarch Filaret called Putin a new Cain and a Judas, it is interesting that it was Judas, in fact, who was promoting the social justice gospel, but it's because he wanted to steal money. And even Christ debunks the social justice gospel when he gets the expensive, I believe, alabaster perfume, and his apostles say, why don't you sell that and give it to charity? And he says, my presence, essentially, it's if you look at it sacramentally, is more important. So it deserves the best. It deserves the most expensive things. This is why you make churches very nice and beautiful because Christ's presence is there. Now, if you only clean the outside and you don't clean out your inside, then you're like the Pharisees, right? You need to have charity towards your brother and love God by defending the commandments. And if you do that and you have nice churches and building nice things for the sacraments, then that's the best of both worlds, right? Speaking of which, Putin's propaganda, according to Michael Matt, looks a lot like Christendom. And he shows some clips and there's this kind of funny music video. I guess it's from 2017, I think. It's called Mom, Russia, Mom, which really screams Fatima kind of stuff, right? It's all about our mother of all, our blessed mother Mary, and that's the whole Fatima message, Mother Russia converting to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, whatever that means. People debate what that looks like. It's kind of funny how this whole propaganda video from these little girls singing uh, is telling everybody to pray at dawn. They're showing icons and talking about the holy immortal God and Christ there's a lot of kids that look pretty happy, looking like normal kids in modest dress. There's shots of beautiful Russian cathedrals, military generals making the sign of the cross, singing about love without deception, calling out the dragons of NATO, of Europe, and America. Meanwhile, in the Ukrainian Independent Orthodox Church, under Filaret and the Bandera nationalism, apparently the dragon is Russia and Byzantium. So it's funny how when people say the dragon or Satan and they assign particular attributes or particular people or nations to that, perhaps that's a lot more telling than just looking at the iconography on its own without any context. So if Putin's Russia is crypto-Soviet communism, they're doing a really bad job. In fact, it shows footage of Putin at the Transfiguration Cathedral at Christmas Midnight Mass, and it looks pretty Christendom-esque to me. Also, I would recommend people listen to Vladimir Putin's uh, interview on the Orthodox YouTube channel talking about his baptism, where he was secretly baptized because I think his father was a communist, and he was baptized at a cathedral in St. Petersburg, the Transfiguration Cathedral, which is where he was at this midnight mass. And it was a very interesting synchronistic story 
where who he was baptized from, he found out later somebody he met that was like his father. It was a very strange, beyond coincidental thing. So you can tell when he talks about it, it has a very deep meaning for him, his baptism. And I would just say, hey, maybe he's making a facade of it. Maybe he's telling this story to gain sympathy. Or maybe he actually has an affinity for his baptism and felt it was a deeply spiritual experience. Just listen to him talk about it. And it seems pretty obvious to me that it had an impact on him, whatever it might have been. Check it out. And those are sacramental things. The idea of the sacraments is that the presence of Christ is there. And if you have what seems to be a pretty positive experience with all those things, it's kind of hard to fake that, I would say, especially if there's demonic influences. That's like the last thing they're going to want their uh, person to be giddy about that they have influence over. Just saying. Moving on, Michael Matt shows some other things that Putin's doing that are bringing back Soviet Russia in disguise, apparently. He dedicated this Wall of Grief monument in Moscow for all those persecuted under Stalin. Although he's bringing back the Stalin regime secretly, he's playing like 20D chess. He's unveiling a monument for people persecuted under him to bring back Stalin-type persecution. I hope you see how that works. Again, this is like blaming the Jesuits for creating Freemasonry and the Bavarian Illuminati or St. Ignatius of Loyola being a crypto alambrado Kabbalist or something like that. All these things are completely untenable if you just look into them a little bit. And even when you read Masonry and the Bavarian Illuminati's documents and manifestos themselves, they hate the Jesuits. They would love nothing more to be completely disassociated with them. And the only way that Jesuit Illuminati Masonry stuff comes up is from propaganda to try to get all of the more Christian degrees of masonry purged and bring everybody into the more esoteric degrees. We talked about this in the podcast and Barwell's memoirs, and this conspiracy theory was promoted by Madame Blavatsky and all this kind of stuff. We mentioned this again in those podcast episodes, the Barwell memoirs episodes, and then the Ignatius of Loyola episodes, if you're wondering what we're talking about here. And then apparently Putin's also building statues for Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and apparently Russian students are required to read his works. And Putin made it required, so he's a dictator, having you read works about somebody who lived under dictatorships, right? And Putin praised Solzhenitsyn as a true and real patriot when he unveiled his statue in 2018, the year of the Moscow-Constantinople split. And he says that this honor for him is a day of remembrance and respect, not just for Russia, but for the world. So he's a nationalist and a globalist, but for different reasons, maybe similar to how Trump portrays himself. So just listen to Putin's words talking about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. We're crying out loud. All these people who think this is 20D communist propaganda and triple dialectics mirroring within mirrors that probably involves stunt doubles of Putin where there's an enigma wrapped in a riddle in the middle of a rainbow woke Twinkie. It's like QAnon in reverse, where Putin is playing everybody, pretending he's a Christian, but he's really a crypto-communist, and it's the greatest hoax of all time. Again, we're setting aside the whole situation with the war in Ukraine. I don't know what's going to happen from that. 
maybe there are Russian war crimes and Putin is behaving like some evil madman who's drinking the blood of his enemies. That could all happen and develop. I don't know. But we're talking about what has developed before that time. And I don't see how all of these accusations against him being the most evil Hitler and Stalin combined of all time is warranted. And perhaps it's because he made gay pride parades illegal in Russia. Is that why everybody's going after him and calling him every name under the sun that doesn't even make any sense? Also recall, like we talked about in apocalyptic elections, and Michael Matt mentions this, he jailed the Kitty Riot band, and some feminists apparently responded to this. It's called Femin. They're crazy. We'll talk about them in a second. But one of their members chainsawed down a wooden cross while topless. I mean, it's like a WTF moment. Just watch the video. Michael Matt has it in one of the segments. It's just insane. And then Michael Matt jokes, and I agree with him. You know, this is kind of like a holy war, but we're not allowed to say that. This is all secular, right? Putin's just, you know, secular guy, wants power. And, you know, it's just uh, all these people who don't care about religion. Um, and it's just oligarchs battling each other, but it seems a bit more religious than most people are willing to admit. So we'll talk a little bit more about feminine in a second, but let's wrap up some of these other points. So like I said, on the Orthodox YouTube channel and the playlist that I have, you can watch some interesting videos. You have Putin going in with Patriarch Kirill and what looks like a military general going into the Russian military cathedral, and Putin is kissing the various icons. Now, one of these icons in that cathedral apparently has been crying blood. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but you can see the pictures of it. You can call it fake, or the Russian Orthodox people are pulling a stunt. I don't know. Or you can say it's crying because Putin's being evil. Perhaps. I don't know. Make of it what you will, but it is all very interesting, especially related to Our Lady of Fatima and... Our Lady's icon is crying. Blood. But I would say that the behavior at this Russian military cathedral and all of these people there with Putin and him kissing the icons and whatever, it reminds me a lot of the Habsburg and Romanov regimes. Perhaps what 1917 and World War I overthrew. And when you look at the Russian military, looking like these old regimes... Compare that with the Lesbian Gay Pride Month for Army Woke, Thrice Vaccinated USA Army people. And you can tell me what's the difference. And these comparisons are made in Michael Matt's videos. So again, just watch those. And he also shows another clip of a statue of Nicholas II with a cross where he's riding a horse being built in Russia. And that's rising. But somehow Putin's a crypto commie KGB thug and he's putting up, you know, statues of the Tsar who was murdered by those very people. 20D chess. Also compare that with Zelensky's Dancing with the Stars and again, pseudo gay porn techno video. And you might want to ask, is this actually just what Putin is protecting his people from, even if you don't love all the ways he does it? Also, there's another video on the playlist I found that's very interesting. I have heard accusations that Putin's building a palace, or he has built a palace, and it's just this pleasure palace. Now, apparently, a lot of this is propaganda from that Alexei Navalny guy who is the political muse of the Kitty Riot Band. And there's a video showing what 
the building actually is. And it's like some hotel that's getting renovations. I mean, it is big, but it looks nothing like what Navalny portrayed it to be. So is that guy a fraud to the max? That's something you might want to ask yourself because I've had my suspicions about him. He looks a little too, uh, what's the word, vain in a lot of his own pictures where he's got the sad face in the hospital and he's trying to sell all the tears and stuff like that. I just don't trust him. And that has nothing to do with my position or thoughts on Vladimir Putin that is irrelevant to this Navalny character who just seems really shady to me. So let's wrap it up on this feminine group that Michael Matt had the video of <laughs> one of them topless chainsawing down a cross. I mean, as sad or offensive as that is for somebody who's Catholic or whatever, I mean, you can't help but laugh because it's just so crazy. I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> but anyways... Apparently, the founder of Femin hung herself at age 31. Interesting number if you've gone through any of the old esoteric series on various funny business with dates and numbers and stuff that we've covered in the past. But regardless, this was in 2018, the year of the big split, the big schism of Moscow and Constantinople. And we know that the demons would want people to kill themselves. They look to make people sad and be in a state of melancholy because that is their demeanor. You can read about that with exorcists talking about that. That's actually even a quote from St. Francis de Sales, I think. So look at the fate of one who began the feminine group and is inspiring people to chainsaw down crosses topless. Well, she ends up hanging herself at a young age. It's very sad, but this group is freaking crazy. Now, also, when you look into them and you see where their activism is most dominant, there is a good portion of it in Russia and Ukraine area and also the Vatican. So, hmm, that's interesting. If the Vatican, Russia, you know, there's Fatima, Russia, consecration. Demons know this. They know the prophecies. They witness all these things that mere humans cannot comprehend, let alone remember all these things. Because remember, in Catholic demonology, demons have perfect memory. Once they see something transpire, they remember everything about it. So they're obviously preparing for these things and going to try to do the most damage they can because they know they'll be crushed eventually. And Father Ribbiger talks about how living in that state of knowing you're going to be crushed, they're always paranoid. And so you perhaps saw some of that with the election integrity stop the steal stuff going on where maybe they thought they were going to be cast out. It didn't exactly happen the way that most people on the America First side would have liked it to. But you saw a huge panic and a lot of strange stuff that we all documented in apocalyptic elections. So that's kind of the point. Now, is this another incarnation of that? And all these things are going crazy and they're wondering maybe... Is this our time, especially after the consecration actually happened, depending on what you think about the legitimacy of Pope Francis or whatever it is? The point is, all this stuff has been going down. It's very interesting. So do they know their time is short as it is written? And they are acting accordingly now by making everything and all the people they have influence over way more hypocritical than they've ever been. It's just insane. So the other thing to keep in mind 
on our lovely little group of femin ladies is that they are heavily financed by Ukrainian elites, especially with a German background, just random fun fact I found out. And also apparently it's a connection with Ukrainian Canadians. Seems like strange people to be supporting this group that's going after the Vatican and Russia and operating in Ukraine. And surprise, surprise, years later, everything is centered around those areas right now with Russia and Ukraine and then the consecration at the Vatican. So the Ukrainian-Canadian thing, I don't know if that has something to do with Justin Trudeau. I know that he's tied into some of the neo-Nazi weirdness. That's something you can look into on your own time. But fun fact, Femin apparently showed up at Pope Benedict's Sunday sermon in St. Peter's Square, and apparently they were captured by the Italian police. Now think about this in a potential hypocrisy. I'm sure a lot of Roman Catholics were like, yes, good, arrest these crazy feminists. But when Putin does that and he jails feminists, then he's an evil dictator. So why aren't we calling Pope Benedict an evil fascist dictator who hates gay people and women because his police are going to jail these feminine crazies? See what I'm saying? Also, in 2013, before Pope Francis was elected... They all went topless at the Vatican for an LGBT protest. And same kind of thing happened, I guess. Now, I guess they also attacked a conservative German bishop. It might have been the last conservative German bishop, I don't know, back in 2013, because they all seem to be problems these days. And they even tried to destroy a baby Jesus nativity scene at St. Peter's in 2017 while screaming, God is a woman! I wonder if they would have tried to destroy the recent nativity scenes that look like ancient aliens, robots, or weird, I don't even know what to call it, in the last one. I bet you they would have let those alone. Those would have been a little multicultural enough for them, I think. Just a guess. Now, apparently, they were also tackled by Pope Francis's guards when they did this in 2017. Maybe that's why Pope Francis changed the nativity scenes. He was afraid of feminine. I don't know. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt here on that one. But the point is, why isn't Pope Francis an evil woman hater and anti-LGBT despot like Putin? Because his regime did the same thing to these crazy feminists at the Vatican. But when Putin jails them, he's just a repressive despot. I don't understand what the difference is here. And also, apparently, another one of these feminine ladies attacked Patriarch Kirill in 2012. And they protested legislation in Ukraine that would halt abortion in 2012. That's interesting that legislation was being made to stop abortion in Ukraine in 2012 while the pro-Russian president was there just before the coup. So I guess that makes sense as to why they needed a coup if they are going to try to get rid of abortion in Ukraine. Hmm, it's all starting to make sense now. And lastly, to be fair to our feminine ladies, they're unlike American feminists who have no problem with Muslim immigration, even though Muslims treat women way worse than Christian societies have historically. Even the worst of the Christian societies are better than the uh, general types of behaviors of a lot of the Muslim societies, especially the more hardcore ones. But the point is, They also protested Muslim male dominance, so at least they were consistent in that regard. So, when we see anti-abortion stuff coming into Ukraine in 2012, and then there is magically a coup later, 
Well, this takes us back to apocalyptic elections where anti-abortion stuff was going global with Putin and Trump teaming up. And that's one of those under-the-radar stories for some reason that a lot of Catholics didn't know about. And it was freaking out the globalists. We documented this all in apocalyptic elections. We'll talk about it probably a bit more in the members section for the podcast. But surprise, surprise, we get a whole global lockdown and perhaps a leaked virus by some elites who didn't like a lot of this stuff going on. I don't know. But of course, they're all controlled by the powers and principalities at the top of the heap. We know this if you're looking at it from a spiritual viewpoint and Catholic lens. Uh, Even if you don't, it still makes a lot of sense. Now... Fast forward to 2020, where we had the referendum that we mentioned in Russia, where they were having Christian marriage in the Constitution for the first time since 1917, and God being mentioned, and Kirill did a whole video. He was casting the first vote to pass this, and this was all during the Summer of Love, where meanwhile, the Bolsheviks 2.0 in America are tearing everything apart and looting and rioting and going crazy and radical abortion is trying to be passed with the COVID regulations and aid packages that are supposed to be about saving lives, but apparently the left wants to also kill a bunch of babies with that. And even there's some recent stories that come out that are really horrific about abortion stuff um, with the doctor who's saying we'll kill the babies after they've been birthed if you wanted your abortion. That's a whole other thing, but that's going on. But that's the result, right? That's what they've been pushing for. But meanwhile, in Russia, they're stopping a lot of that, and they have been reducing abortion. I know people always criticize this and say there's a huge abortion problem in Russia. That's true from what I understand, but it has been reducing, and that's the whole point we made in our introduction segment. Is there a progress away from these things towards more of an obedience of the commandments? And that's exactly what has been happening. And perhaps that is why the time is now to strike on Putin and Kirill's Russia because all these things are consistent with what was attacked in these other instances, and some of them relate to Roman Catholicism. The adversary is attacking the Catholics just like he's attacking Russian Orthodoxy in a lot of fundamental ways, but a lot of people don't want to recognize that because they perhaps cannot believe that the Russian Orthodox Church could be Christian. It must be controlled by crypto KGB Putin and Kirill is just a political animal and likes expensive watches. Meanwhile, the Bandera-loving Filaret is the bastion of independence of Orthodoxy in Ukraine. So we've been over, beaten to death, this dead horse of all the hypocrisies But the point is, look at the consistency of all these hypocrisies on these very fundamental issues and where these dialectics synthesize. And I think that might help give you a clearer picture and bring you a little bit closer to the truth, even though we are right smack dab in the middle of the fog of war that is the war in heaven that is manifesting on earth. 